All right, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, this morning in the 9 o'clock service, some of y'all may have already heard, and you hate me for it, but Thomas Jurgen and Angela Jurgen were with us this morning at the 9 o'clock service. And for those of y'all that do not know Thomas Jurgen, uh, he and Angela are like family to us. And uh, Thomas Jurgen is an African-American pastor, and he pastors a church in StarTech, South Carolina. And, um, and so I had him at the 9 o'clock service because he had to get back to his church uh, to preach at 10.30, and StarTex is not a short trip. It is a long way. And so he and I were on the phone with each other. I don't know how long we had a conversation uh, this past week, just expressing our frustrations, ex- expressing our concern about what our world is going through, especially what our nation is going through. And he and I were going to uh, do a video And I said, you know what, Thomas, you know, we are so videoed out. I don't know about you, but I'm sick of videos. Todd Axman, we're together on that, aren't we? I'm just sick of videos. And so I said, I said, I said, do do me a favor. I said, I was halfway kid, and I said, why don't you see um, if you can come and just preach at nine o'clock and those people in the 1030 service who hate me now, um, they can watch it on on YouTube or, or whatever. And so that's what we did. He came and he preached. Um, and it was a sacrifice on his and Angel's part, and I appreciate him doing that. Um, but I, I tell you, our nation needs to see uh, black, white, Hispanic, and Asian pastors locking arm in arm and standing in solidarity, not on a slogan, but when they just show us standing in solidarity in the grace and the love of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so I really, really appreciate Thomas coming and doing that, and, um, and hopefully that will be up on YouTube or whatever. And if it's not, we'll just have, coming, we'll have him come preach at 1030 next week. Amen. And so y'all pray for me this morning because last week I had to, uh, you know, we had to bear through Rick Corum, and then this morning at nine o'clock I had Thomas Jurgen, and now you got me. So y'all bear with me, all right? So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to talk about love this morning, last sermon on love, and then uh, next week we'll go into joy. We're in the fruit of the Spirit, and we are basing this out of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. And um, today we're going to just wrap up love, talk about the details of love. I am not going to get um, all the way through my sermon notes. Um, if you p- have them pulled up on your device, devices, I won't get through all that, but I'll get as far as I can make it. But let's stand and let's read the Word of God this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The Apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth, a very dysfunctional church, He writes, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am am nothing. If I give all I have away, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Boy, I'm right there. I don't know about you. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is what, church? Let me hear you again. The greatest of these is what? Is love. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus and through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you will speak this morning through your word. Lord, show us what we need to hear. And Lord, I pray what we hear this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we will take, we will internalize it, we will let it transform us, we will take it to a society that desperately needs it. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a, is a very remarkable passage of Scripture. Um, it, it's well known, it, it's, it's quoted in a lot of weddings and other scenarios like weddings and so forth. But it's a remarkable passage for at least two reasons um, in my mind. The first reason in my mind is, is you have to think about the Apostle Paul. You have to think about the Apostle Paul's life and his ministry from the time he was converted on the road to Damascus to the time he writes this. And, and if you think about his ministry, think about p- what Paul went through. Um, he had every right to be bitter. He had every right to be jaded. Earthly speaking, and as the world teaches us, he didn't have to respond to the Corinthian church in the way he did. I mean, man, he could have given them just both barrels. Why? It's because Paul was persecuted. Paul was beaten. He was imprisoned. You can go to Acts chapter 16 and read about that. And a lot of times whenever we say Paul was beaten, you know, I think we really need to use the language of torture. Paul was tortured, and Silas was tortured for the cause of Christ. And a lot of great injustices were, um, were persecuted upon the Apostle Paul. Um, he was rejected. Um, he was maligned. He was marginalized. He was maligned because he was a Jew. And being a Jew back then was not the most popular ethnicity. It was not. And, and, and just beyond that, Paul was not only a Jew, but Paul was a Jew who confessed Jesus Christ as Lord as the Messiah. And so Paul was even ostracized by his own people. But in the face of all this, what does Paul do? He puts a premium on love. Not only does he put a premium on love, but he practices love. You see, in the American church today, the American society, I can't speak about any other foreign land, but listen, we, we, we say we put a premium on love, but does it show through our practice? Does it show through our practice? You go to Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul and Silas were uh, in prison. They were in shackles. They'd been beaten. They'd been tortured for the cause of Christ. And y'all know that great earthquake came. The jailer fearing that he himself would be tortured because of the prisoners that had escaped. Long story short, he says, what must I do to be saved? Because he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and the praises of Paul and Silas while they were in shackles. And he said, what must I do to be saved? You know what Paul could have said? He said, he could have said, go ahead and kill yourself, you old fool. That's what you get for treating me the way you treated me. You see, that's the way our society teaches us to react. Right there. Now, if I'm going to keep on going, y'all going to have to liven up just a tad. All right? I know y'all are mad at me because you miss Thomas Jurgen, but you can, you can blow up YouTube servers when you get home and watch the servers then. Okay, are we in agreement? All right. And they could have said a lot of things. But what did Paul say? Basically, he says, do yourself no harm. Do yourself no harm. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. That's love. 
That's love. And that was to a Gentile. And then you go to Romans, the beginning of Romans chapter 9, the beginning of Romans chapter 10, and all Paul has in the beginning of those two chapters is a love for his own people, his people that rejected him and marginalized him. And so Paul put a premium on love. Not only put a premium on love, but through the witness of the, of the book of Acts and so forth, and Romans and so forth and so on, we know that Paul practiced love. And man, I'm going to tell you something. If I was pastoring First Baptist Corinth, I don't think I would have been as loving. And you say, well, Aaron, why is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the book of 1 Corinthians? It's because they needed it. It's because they needed it. We need it. I mean, I mean, if you go from 1 Corinthians 1 all the way to the end, you, you see that they had a lot of problems. And right off the bat, in chapter 1, you see that they were divided. They were divided into personality cults. I'm of Peter, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. And then you have some sanctimonious people that rose himself above everybody else and said, oh, we're better than all of you, we're of Christ. And so I, at the beginning, hey, by the way, by the way, you want to split a church? You want to bust a church all, all to pieces? You start developing personality cults inside the church, and it will bust a church all to pieces. It will. Watch it. They were divided. They were fractured. They were fragmented. Not only that, in chapters 12 through 14, they were misusing um, spiritual gifts. They were misusing ministry for self-aggrandizement. Sin was rampant in the church. I mean, all you got to do is read it. It was a bad church, man. Bad church. And so what Paul does is he uses this very remarkable, profound teaching, and he gives it to the one of the most controversial churches in the New Testament. And on the heels of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it is obvious that the church was having problems with the abuse of ministry, and it was dividing the church. And Paul states in chapter 12 and chapter 13, if a church is going to stay together, if a church is going to adhere, if they're going to hold together, there must be love, not just in theory, not just in statement, but there must be love. Now, there were three things I was going to bring to your attention today out of this text. I'm going to bring you two, all right? Number one is the priority of love, and the second thing is the personification of love. First of all, let's look at the priority of love, and let's reread verses one through three. Y'all with me? All right. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, what Paul is doing in those three verses, he is showing us the priority or what should be a priority in our life. And Paul is saying that love, the love of God, should permeate every part of us. Our words, our action, our Facebook posts, our Facebook posts, our Facebook posts, our Facebook posts, our Facebook posts. Do you get what I'm saying? It should permeate everything that we do. And the picture I get of permeation is whenever my mom used to get the, um, the food coloring out. Y'all know what I'm getting ready to say. I love playing with food coloring. I'm, a, I'm weird now because I was, a, I was weird then. And I like getting a glass and filling it full of water and taking that red food coloring and just one drop, boom, and just watching that just permeate that whole glass of water. And that is what Paul is telling us to do. Love should be a priority. Love should permeate everything that we do. Now, he's not talking about a worldly love. He's not talking about an earthly love. 
He's talking about the love of God, 1 John 3 and 1 John 4. And so we should have a godly love controlling our thoughts and controlling our actions. In fact, I read one commentator and he said, he said that, that it, it should be so much so that love should be our first reaction. It should almost be instinctual. And if, I, if our reactions are not based on love, the love of God, then they're going to be determined by something else, by something else. And usually that's pride in itself and it's fear. And so what Paul does from here, he goes on to give us some powerful illustrations. He gives us three powerful illustrations. Follow me. The first thing he says is love is superior to spiritual gifts. Love is superior to spiritual gifts. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, usually in the church, we turn that around. Usually we put an emphasis on spiritual gifts and not on love. Brother Al, I don't know about you, but, but uh, our director of missions, Brother Al Phillips is here this morning. It's good to have Al. And, uh, but usually churches, especially about 10 or 15 years ago, we put a big, big emphasis on spiritual gifts. We had spiritual uh, gift classes. We had um, you know, the little tests you could take to determine your spiritual gift, but not much was said about love. And I think before we ever, ever have a spiritual gift class or a spiritual gift test, we ought to have a class on biblical love. Because Paul says, love is superior to spiritual gifts. And Paul is saying also that he's saying that without love, a spiritual gift is absolutely ineffectual. Ineffectual. And if you are doing ministry, and if you are, doing, if you are not doing ministry out of love, then it's just a deed. That's all it is. And Paul goes on, he says, if I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, I've done this before, but I'm going to do it again because it's really irritating, and I love irritating you all. But this is what it sounds like. And I'm going to get a little help from Nate Brooks, percussionist extraordinaire. Are you ready? Are you ready with the gong? All right, this is what it sounds like. Now, I want you all to listen. This is what it sounds like to the Lord whenever we minister without love. This is what it sounds like. And this is what it ultimately is going to sound like in the church. Are you all ready? Ready? I think we can get it better because I got a fever for some cowbell. Y'all ready? Here we go. Y'all have enough? All right. Let's give Officer Brooks a hand. Amen. Very good job. <laughs> Very, just keep doing that, would you? That'd be great. That doesn't distract me at all, Nate. Um, thank you, man. I appreciate that. That's what it sounds like. You say, Aaron, you're being silly. No, that's what Paul said. I didn't say that. Paul said, it's dissonant. It's noisy. And it's irritating. And whenever I think of that illustration, I think of that, 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 that just irritates me. That's what the world sounds like today. Are you with me? That's what the world sounds like. Do you know why the world sounds like that? You know why? The absence of love. Godly love. Paul says love is superior to spiritual gifts. Paul also says love is superior to sacrificial works. Verse 2, and if I have prophetic powers and all understanding and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, 
And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, but have not love, I am nothing. And what Paul is doing, Paul is reaching down, he's turning up the stove, and he's increasing the intensity of the illustration. So he moves from spiritual gift to giving away all you have, sacrificing all you have. And he says, listen, without love, without love, sacrificial works are motivated by guilt. They're just empty altruism. And it's just impoverished philanthropy. That's all it is. Without love, if you give everything you have away, if you give everything you have away, the world may stand up and they may applaud you, but if you give everything you have away without love, it's nothing. It's nothing. Third thing, love is superior to spiritual gifts, it's superior to sacrificial works, and he turns up the heat a little bit more, he goes hardcore, and he says love is superior to self-sacrifice. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, I think what Paul is talking about here in verse number three, he's talking about um, just voluntary martyrdom. But if we die for a cause without love, it's meaningless. Did you hear me, church? If we die for a cause without love, it's absolutely meaningless. Now, in the immediate context of first. Corinthians 13, Paul is saying that if you serve without love, in God's economy, in God's mind, it's meaningless. Now, the world may see it, and they may approve, and they may laud, but as for God, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. And sooner or later, it will show. It will show. Because if we serve and we exercise our spiritual gifts without love, really what we're wanting is attention. We will get upset when we're not applauded. And I've been there as a pastor. I mean, I have been there as a pastor. And a lot of times as pastors, we have to fight that tendency. We really have to fight that tendency for approval. We do. We get upset when we're not applauded. We get upset when people will not put their energy into our ministry. Are you with me? Because people won't join what we're passionate about, then we get upset and we start developing a critical spirit. And with that said, let me ask you a question this morning. Why do you do what you do? Why do we do what we do? Do we do it out of love or do we do it out of attention? Do we do it out of love or do we do it so we hope that the world one day may stand up and applaud us? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Love is superior to spiritual gifts, sacrificial works, and self-sacrifice. May we strive as disciples of Jesus Christ to do all we do to the glory of God with love in our heart for God and our neighbor. So that's immediate context. Now, the broader context, I believe that we can safely apply to this to all areas of our, our life. Marriage, communicating and receiving opinions, the way we speak truth, the way we articulate our opinions. Is it done in love? Is it done in love? I have to be careful with that. The, the people that I have to be careful with that, you know, some, sometimes at, at, at the church, as a pastor, I'm on pins and needles, but man, sometimes I don't communicate what I'm, what I'm feeling in love to my children. And I know, all right, don't apply this to somebody else this morning. Let's apply it to ourselves. Amen? And our church. 
And in the church, it's all about love, 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 unity, 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 until someone disagrees with us. It's all about love, 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 you know, this, 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 until someone does something that's not on our approval list. And then we come off the reservation. That's what the world teaches us. The world teaches us unconditional love like that. The world teaches us that reaction of fight. You don't get what you want, you fight. Somebody does you wrong, you punch them back in the face. Am I right? Am I right this morning? That's what the world teaches us. Quid pro quo. I think we can, we can use that phrase now. Can't we, now that the trial's over, quid pro this for that. You give me that. So I'm, I'm going to, you know, five knuckle sandwich right upside your head. That's what the world teaches us. We can move from love to vengeance and be justified by it. Here's the answer. We must let the Word of God do a deep scan and, if necessary, intricate, deep surgery in our hearts. Even if it's painful, we must. Even if it digs down into roots of racism, if it digs down into roots of just bitterness, if it digs down into things that your family taught you that are not biblical and ungodly, we must let the Word of God do its good work. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. And listen to what it says, And discerning thoughts and the intentions of the heart And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We must let the Word of God, the Word of God do that deep scan, that deep surgery in our hearts. Rather than just going to a Bible study and emoting or just gaining knowledge, we need to let the Word of God do its good work. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, he said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How are we transformed by the renewing of, your, of our minds? Through the truth of God's Word. Jesus said, we are sanctified not by emotions. We are not sanctified by our tribalism. We are not sanctified by our racism. We are not sanctified. We are sanctified in and by the truth of God's Word. Now Paul turns up the heat a little bit more. He gives us the priority of love, and then he gives us the personification of love. In verse number four, let's read this again. We can't read this enough, by the way. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. The truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, what I wanted to do... I've always wanted to just preach to these one at a time. I'm like we're doing the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to be in John in the fall, so I can't do it in the fall, so it may be later on next spring. But, but what i like to do today, I can't get into all these because we would be here a very long time. But what I, what I want us to do is I just want us to do this. Let's allow the Word of God to do that deep scan in our life. And what I'm going to do, I want you to join me, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to just read these one at a time, and I'm going to read them slowly, with a lot of space in between, and I want you to join me in doing two things. Number one, inventory your heart. 
And ask yourself this question, am I or do I need to? And the second thing I want you to do is I want you to pray with me and just pray, Lord, through your Spirit, give me the power to be kind. Lord, remove the strongholds in my life so that I may not be arrogant or boast or envy. Okay, would y'all join me in that? Y'all ready? Here we go. Love is patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't say love is nice. It says love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. There is one verse that interprets that it does not keep record of evil. Married couples, we really got to be careful about that. Well, you always. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, it believes all things. It hopes all things, and it endures all things. Am I? Do I need to? Lord, through the power of your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit, give me the power to love like this. Lord, remove strongholds in my life, whatever it may be. It may be that this thing was passed down from generation to generation to the generation in my family's life, and I'm struggling with it. Lord, give me the power. Um, you overcome, Lord, the stronghold of my so that I may love like this. And whenever we strive to love like this, we are striving to love like Jesus Christ. Why? It's because this is a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the personification of what we just read. You know, people talk about the love of Jesus, love of Jesus, love of Jesus. What does the love of Jesus look like? That's it right there. That is a perfect picture of the love of Jesus Christ. And if we love like this, he's got a couple more points and I'm done. If we love like this, it will keep us from fake fruit and rotted fruit. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? So what do you mean? Every spiritual gift has a fake fruit. Every spiritual gift does. Um, it has an imposter that, that, we, that we mistake for the real fruit. And usually it's what the world teaches us. And the fake fruit of love is emotionalism and commitment. And I know some of y'all are like, what? Commitment? Yes, commitment. I have heard couples say, well, we are committed to each other for the children. Y'all ever heard that before? There's no love in that. There's no love in that. 
I've heard couples say, well, we're committed because we don't want to get divorced. Okay, that, that's, that's praiseworthy, but there's no love in that. And so we can say that we're committed all day long, but where's the love, man? And yes, love will bring commitment, but we can't confuse just saying, I'm committed, and confusing that for love. Am I, am I making sense? And then what about emotionalism? What does the world teach us? The world teaches that sentimentalism, infatuation, is love. And boy, that, that right there is where our culture is really biting into the lure of Satan, right there. Obsession, infatuation, sentimentalism, and even romanticism, ladies, I'm sorry. Even romanticism, we confuse that with love. And that may bring love. But don't confuse the two. You say, okay, well, what is love? Love is patient, love is kind, is not envy, does not boast, is not arrogant, not rude. It does not insist on its own way, is not irritable, resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's love. That's Jesus. And then we have to be careful about the rotted fruit. Every fruit has a fake fruit. Every fruit can rot and turn into its opposite. And what is the opposite of love? Don't say hate because it's not. The opposite of love is fear. It's fear. And I'm going to read that to you in just a minute. We fear. You say, well, you know, you, you know let, me, let me just say it like this. I don't want to make anybody mad. I don't want to upset anybody. But, but it's true. You cannot love someone because you feel guilt in your heart. That's not love. That's fake fruit. You cannot love someone because you're codependent on them. That's not love. You can't love someone, you know, uh, just by just agreeing with them. That's not love. You can't love someone out of pressure. You can't love someone because of external pressure. That's not love. That is not love. And do y'all see where we get our definition of love just twisted? and bent sideways. And so be careful about the fake fruit. Be careful about the rotten fruit. And I just want to close this morning by reading to you 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Aren't you glad? Amen? Y'all try to love me this morning, all right? And whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. And by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Here it is. There is no fear in love, but perfect love. 
What's perfect love? Jesus Christ. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has nothing to do, has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Amen. Amen. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Boy, our society needs that. Amen. If we say we have the love of God and we hate our brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he um, has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I could have just read that and we could have just said amen and gone home. Y'all wouldn't have to listen to all I had to say before. I mean, we could have. And because he first loved me, I can love anybody, even my enemy, even my enemy. And because he first loved me, I can love people, even the people that my family may have rejected for generations. And if I love like God loves, I can love people who disagree with me, yes, even on Facebook. If God loves me, and he first loved me, I can love you, Steve. Mike, I can love you. Ike, I can love you. Scott, I can even love you. I can love you. Tim, I can love you. What about it, church? There's nothing wrong with a good slogan. There's nothing wrong with a good statement. But I pray in the name of Jesus Christ and upon authority of God's word that we stake our church's existence on the love of Jesus Christ. On his love. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son, in whom you manifested and displayed and demonstrated love to us. We thank you for your spirit that encourages us, comforts us, convinces us, and convicts us. And Lord, we thank you that you have shown us the details of love. You've defined it for us. You've displayed it for us. You have demonstrated it. You have saved us by your love. And now, Lord, it's our turn to turn around and to strive to exercise those details of love, kind, patience. Not envying or boasting, but being like your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, our world needs your love. Our nation needs your love. 
And Lord, we need to admit and repent, Lord, we haven't loved like you have wanted us to love. The church hasn't. And Lord, we need to love. Lord, we need to quit talking about love and we need to start living it out. We need to keep hearing the word, but yet be doers of the word. Sometimes we just get stuck at listening. And Lord, I pray that as we leave today, that we will let your word do a deep scan and that intricate surgery to take out the malignancy of fear, of hate, and of anger, and of bitterness. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for loving us. When we didn't deserve it, we weren't looking for it, we couldn't afford it. If we, if we found it, Lord, thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Edwards Road Baptist Church. We hope you are meaningfully involved in a local church, but if you aren't, we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings as we worship God and hear from His Word together. You can find more information about our church by visiting our website at edwardsroad.org.